Welcome to A Conspiracy in the Force, the show where we examine parallel conspiracies in a galaxy far, far away, in a galaxy not so far away. The show is designed as an introduction to modern-day conspiracy theories by using Star Wars, one of the most beloved fictional universes, as a point of reference. Let's begin. This episode is titled, Secret Societies in Star Wars, Part 3. On Part 3, the final episode of our deep dive into secret societies in Star Wars, we will be talking about the most infamous dark side societies in the universe. Namely, the Order of the Canted Circle, the One Sith Cult, the Order of Revan, and the Sith Eternal. Now, before we get into those cults, I wanted to touch on a few other societies. Let's talk first about the Mandalorians. Well, I don't necessarily consider them a secret society or a cult in the vein of the Sith-like cults we've been discussing. Upon rewatching of the Mandalorian series, I do think they meet this definition. Specifically, the sect that Din Djarin, the Mandalorian himself, pledged his allegiance to, which was loosely called the Tribe. When we first come across this sect in Episode 1 of The Mandalorian, they are hiding out in an underground lair to avoid being seen so they can conduct their business in private. Their leader, dubbed the Armorer, holds a very specific way of being and holds all Mandalorians who follow her in her teachings to the same standards. Specifically, she taught her fellow Mandalorians to never remove their helmets. This is the way, she would say. Anyone who removed their helmet in front of another was to be banished from the group and was told to cleanse themselves in an underground spring on Mandalore. She held them to a strict code of honor and duty, and held to rituals that she believed closely aligned with the original intentions of the Mandalorian culture. She held sacred the metal Beskar, which was a Mandalorian-originated material, and she desired that this Beskar was only to be used by Mandalorians. It is interesting when you contrast the Armorer's belief system with that of Bo-Katan, a fellow Mandalorian. Her and her compatriots held to the same beliefs of duty and honor in restoring Mandalore to its former glory, but they did not observe the archaic rituals of the Beskar worship and the villainization of helmet removal. I'm curious if you will see a joining of these two sects in future episodes. Now let's talk a little bit about the Jedi and the Jedi Code. What aligns the Jedi with the secret society is that there are trials that they put their Padawans through to become Jedi Knights. This can be parallel to Freemasonry, where a new member goes through different rituals or stages to develop from a first-degree Mason all the way up to the top, in some cases, a 33rd-degree Mason, though it is lower in some offshoots. While the Jedi Trials are not explicitly shown or discussed in the series, outside of a few throwaway lines, most famously by Obi-Wan Kenobi, the Trials in the current era of Star Wars canon are as follows. Teamwork, isolation, fear, anger, betrayal, focus, instinct, forgiveness, and protection. Lore states that these trials are either real trials or tests that the Padawans must go through, or the Padawan's master can dub the Padawan as having passed the tests 
through real-life events they've experienced and succeeded in. The tests are vague, with not a lot of in-depth discussion even in the novels and comics, at least to my knowledge. However, under the old Star Wars Legends series of novels, which Disney does not consider part of the story anymore, the Jedi Trials were divided into only five tests. The Trial of Skill, the Trial of Courage, the Trial of Flesh, the Trial of Spirit, and the Trial of Insight. I'll discuss these real briefly. The Trial of Skill contained physical and mental exercises. The Trial of Courage involved a very courageous act, like the defeating of a Dark Lord of the Sith, such as Obi-Wan defeating Darth Maul. The Trial of the Flesh is interesting in that it involved physical pain and duress. Early descriptions of this test involved energy bursts shot into Padawans. Kind of creepy. Another practical example of this test included Anakin being dismembered by Count Dooku. Obi-Wan convinced the council that this counted as part of his trials. Good stuff. Then the trial of spirit. The trial of spirit involved looking deep into your own soul, also called facing the mirror. This was a mentally exhausting test. Yoda in his later years saw Luke face this test when he confronted Darth Vader, his own father, in that wonderful dark cave scene. And finally, the trial of insight seemed to involve the Jedi Padawan solving some sort of puzzle or seeing through an illusion to discover the truth. It seems that in the later years of the Jedi, these rules-based trials were largely abandoned, or not considered to have the same significance as they had thought in the past. Luke and the future Jedi Order seemed to rely more on qualitative measures than a check-the-box trial completion method. A good parallel for us would be the Old Testament in the Bible. While it still has significant importance, a lot of the rules and regulations regarding what you need to do to serve God were boiled down into simpler terms in the teachings of Jesus. Basically, to believe in God, you were now not required to meet all the ritualistic rules and regulations of the past anymore. You just had to believe. believe, believe. Now let's get into the Sith societies. The first one we'll discuss today is the Order of the Canted Circle. The Canted Circle was a very secretive organization of wealthy individuals on Coruscant who conducted rituals and discussed politics and galactic machinations. The term canted, which means angular deviation from a vertical or horizontal plane, was used to define the lodge in which the groups conducted their meetings. Part of the building had sunk into a lava bed nearby leaving the main floor at a strange angle. This society was small in number, as they only inducted a handful of new members each decade. The order itself was estimated at only about 500 members. This society has a lot of synchronicities with the Skull and Bones Society in our world. Skull and Bones also had a limited number in attendance, and they also had strict rules about who could join. After Palpatine was inducted as an official member of the Canted Circle when he rose to power as the Emperor, the Order altered its rules, based on Palpatine's recommendations, to no longer allow alien members. 
This has a similarity to Skull and Bones, which was mostly for white males. males. Let's now discuss the one Sith cult from the Star Wars Legends pre-Disney era. Unlike other cults existing before or during the Galactic Empire era, this cult existed many years after the Empire fell. This cult was helmed by the self-named Darth Krait, who named himself after the dangerous Krait Dragon. You may recall this creature that the Mandalorian fought in Episode 1 of Season 2, and also it was mentioned in the original Star Wars when Obi-Wan mimicked the Krait Dragon call to scare the Tusken Raiders away from an unconscious Luke Skywalker. Krait was a former Jedi Knight who had turned to the Sith. As the name of the cult implies, the one Sith cult believed in the rule of one, not the rule of two that most Sith cults followed. Therefore, they were seen as heretics and blasphemous, even in the Sith world. The story of the one Sith cult is long and convoluted, but Darth Krait's cult went through a long waiting game and struck when the moment was right to gain control of the galaxy many years after the Battle of Endor in Return of the Jedi. He saw that the galaxy was ripe for being ruled again by a single ruler as Palpatine did. However, as most Sith rulers go, he was eventually defeated by the Jedi. 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 Now the one Sith did have an organized structure to them. The second in command was called the Voice or the Regent. The supreme commander of their military was called the Fist. The assassins were called the Hands, and the keepers of all the history and records was called the Lore Master. Interestingly enough, they had an internal department called the SIA, which you could compare to our own CIA here in America. But the SIA stood for Sith Intelligence and Assassination. And this was responsible for interrogating enemies, information gathering, and, of course, assassinations and other dastardly deeds. Let's now talk about one of the most popular non-film Sith Lords in his cult, the Order of Revan, started by Darth Revan and the Revanites, which kind of sounds like a metal band. Darth Revan existed thousands of years prior to the original trilogy, and he followed a pattern similar to Darth Krait, in which he was a Jedi Knight before turning to the Sith. However, it does get a bit interesting because he was then captured by the Jedi, had his mind wiped, was made to serve the Republic, and then he was captured by a Sith Emperor and tortured for 300 years, and then was rescued and came back around to try to help defeat this Sith Emperor, and yeah, confused? Yeah, I am too. During the period of his capture, his writings and philosophies were discovered, and a fanatical cult called the Order of Revan emerged. One of his core philosophies was that the light and dark sides both had components necessary to learn from, since he had learned from both, although he was betrayed by both. He believed in the whole entire nature of the Force, which was interesting to many who joined together to join this order. When he was released from his torture and he found out about this cult of his namesake, he initially wanted nothing to do with it. He did not see himself as someone who should be worshipped. However, he did end up taking over the cult, removing prior members, and remaking the cult with hand-picked members who would serve his needs better many of these being high-ranking politicians from the two opposing factions in the galaxy, the Empire and the Republic. Now, mind you, these are different from the Empire and Republic in the original trilogy. The fact that he drew from both of these factions again underscored his desire to draw from both ends of the spectrum to accomplish his goals. 
However, in the end, both the Empire and Republic took him and his cult out. But his influence was said to live on, specifically in Darth Bane's Sith Rule of Two. Finally, let's get to the Sith Eternal, the most recently introduced cult in the Skywalker film saga. Now, this cult was the way that Disney and Lucasfilm attempted to explain Palpatine's return in The Rise of Skywalker. Per the famous line by Poe Dameron, remember, quote, somehow Palpatine returned, end quote. Just award-winning line. This cult also helped to explain the reason that Rey was a Palpatine and that Snoke came to being. I'll be honest, I'll do my best to summarize this cult, but I'm still not bought into this cult and its purpose in the saga, as it just seemed kind of thrown together at the last minute. But here we go. The Sith Eternal were a cult that existed in secret in the outer regions of the galaxy with Palpatine's assistance. Palpatine's goal with the Sith Eternal was to find ways to achieve immortality. It's unknown specifically when they came to being, but their ultimate goal was to restore the rule of the Sith to the galaxy. A major part of that being their attempts to clone and revive Palpatine after his defeat on the Death Star. They used genetic engineering to create a Palpatine clone, which eventually became Rey's father. This clone was deemed a failure and was terminated. They also used part of Palpatine's DNA to create Snoke, a strand cast, who became the de facto leader of the First Order in the post-Empire era. The Sith Eternal were the true heart of the First Order, and they had worked in the shadows for years, amassing a huge army and fleet to one day come to prominence. And with the death of Snoke and the resurgence of Palpatine, the time was right for them to unleash the chaos. What is interesting about this cult is that many of them were not even Force users, but they adhered to the ideology and philosophy of the Sith and attempted to use occult practices and scientific research to achieve the goals of the Sith. Ultimately, they were all wiped out on the planet of Exegol by the Resistance in Rey and Kylo Ren. While this cult is interesting on its face, I do still have trouble buying into it. It seems to be like a convenient way to retcon Palpatine's demise so they could provide a more compelling villain for this final chapter in the sequel trilogy. The fact that Palpatine apparently had everything set up to continue on his plan after his death and even find ways to continue living on in some way to me, it seems to be a slap in the face of Luke and Vader's heroic journeys. The story even goes that Vader knew about this Sith Eternal cult, and even Palpatine had even thought very heavily about Vader betraying him in the future. It's kind of hard to buy in, but hey, it is what it is, so I guess we have to just deal with it. In conclusion, many of these cults operated in secret, but had the ultimate goal of galactic dominance. Just like in our world, Many societies seem to be internally focused on occult and magic and internal dealings, but they can have a large effect on the world through the members' ideology and hive mind mentality. Also, many of these cults seem to worship a single leader, almost a god. In many times, the leaders saw the members of the cult as just disposable tools to be used for their purposes and could discard them whenever unusable. So while many of these societies can seem enticing, and provide slick marketing for people to learn new skills, magical abilities, and even network with other like-minded people, there are nefarious purposes at the top of the pyramid. 
So don't buy into the cult mindset and believe that charismatic leaders or secret magical abilities can save you, provide long-lasting power, or even give you what you're looking for. These are all things that can pass away. As for me and my own personal beliefs, I believe that only the God of the Bible can provide you what you're looking for. Looking for. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Conspiracy in the Force. I may have an addendum to the series in the upcoming weeks, as I just purchased a book called The Book of the Sith, which is meant to be a compilation of Sith writings Palpatine put together from himself and other Sith in the past, so stay tuned for more information on that. Coming up next on the podcast this week, on Wednesday will be a replay of a conversation I had with the occult rejects, and on Friday I'll be welcoming in Ron Weed from the Imaginarium of Thought podcast, to talk about the symbolism of numerology in our world. And he also told me there's some interesting Star Wars tie-ins. So check out that podcast coming Friday, and it will also be live on YouTube the night before Thursday at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. May the Force be with you, and God bless. And God bless. And God bless.